our old, no, I always do that. It's habit. This is not our Old Testament reading. We're preaching from the Old Testament. So our gospel reading is from Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Um, just a couple of short sentences uh, that are quite challenging. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear your word this morning. God, help us to hear it for what it is. Help us not to um, learn new information and nothing more. But Lord, help us to learn more about who you are who we are in you. Help us to be transformed by your word and by your spirit as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning. Lord, we ask that you would continue to change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Then turning to Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. <clears throat> the author... <clears throat> The book of Hebrews is making a comparison uh, between kind of Mount Sinai and what happened when the people had come out of Egypt there and Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and all of that. Making a comparison between that and Mount Zion. Uh, that is, uh, the, as he refers to it, the heavenly Jerusalem and what that, uh, what that is like. Here's what he says. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word could be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last week I asked you if you'd ever had the experience of coming in in the middle of a movie and wondering what in the world was going on, and we talked about how that is similar to what it's like just to be born nowadays, and you start learning about how the world is, and you're like, but, but what is going on? Why are things this way? And in order to understand that, we need to go back to the beginning. And so we have gone back and looked at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and we have seen how God created everything uh, and everyone good. And he created it all with a purpose. He created it all on purpose. And uh, 
And that was in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we saw that when he created everything, everything uh, was in right relationship. People were in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. And then last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and how everything broke and how by turning away from God, brokenness in all the relationships happened that you have this beautiful stained glass picture of how things are supposed to be. And, you know, I just kind of shattered it, <laughs> right? And it's shattered. And that's sort of where uh, we left off. And it seems like the kind of thing um, where it's, it's about as bad as it can get. And maybe you've had that experience in watching a movie, too, where you have some character in the story say, well, at least things can't get any worse. And what always happens after they say that? (laughs) They immediately get much worse, don't they? That's Genesis 4. In Genesis 3, we had Adam and Eve uh, breaking the relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. We have them sent out of the garden where they had access to the tree of life. Now they're out of the garden. They do not have access to the tree of life. And we see that the ground has been cursed, uh, that things are going to be much, much harder for them. And then we get uh, chapter four. So what happens outside of the garden when it seems like things can't possibly get worse? Chapter four. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer... It will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Mahushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It got worse, didn't it? Here we have um, the brokenness that began in Eden now spreading out. And we have a brokenness again in relationships between God and with each other and with all of creation. But now we have it in the next generation. And then going on multiple generations from there. And as it continues to go, it continues to spread. It continues to get worse. And so first, let's look at uh, Cain and Abel. And uh, on the one hand, we know the story, right? We've heard this one before. You, you've heard the names Cain and Abel, and the, really the, the thing that we all know about them is Cain kills Abel. End of story. <laughs> and in some ways, that's kind of accurate. However, uh, when we hear of Cain killing Abel, I'm afraid that it may be a little bit too easy for us uh, to look at that from a distance and say, well, that's what he did, and yes, I should not do those things, and I don't do those things, and that's wonderful. The problem is we do do those things. Maybe not that exact deed, but, um, but listen, when we're, there's that line when um, God is talking to Cain, and maybe, did I really not, is it all good? Okay. Every week I forget to plug in my computer and then it makes sounds at me. <laughs> oh, internet's having issues. All right, fantastic. Well, nothing I can do about that right now. Anyway, where were we? We were at the part where... Um, where Cain is uh, feeling angry and his face is downcast. And see if you can relate to this, where uh, whatever the situation is, you get in that feeling of life isn't fair. It's not fair. They shouldn't be able to be like that. I should be, whatever it is, it's not fair. You're angry and downcast. In this moment, God comes to Cain, and he gives him this option. Basically, 
I know that you want to do what is wrong. But I want you to know you don't have to do that. You can choose to do right even in this moment. But listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. When um, this kind of personification of sin, or maybe not personification, but animalation, I don't know, of sin, sin as an animal, as a beast that is wanting to devour and destroy Cain. He says, that's what you're up against. You are up against the same kind of force that was uh, deceitfully talking to your mom in the garden. Promising life and only delivering death. It's a trap. And what God does is he comes to Cain in this moment and says, don't you see it's a trap? Choose right. Don't go that way. And in case we're still thinking of this only in terms of, you know, murdering siblings, um, when talking about sin, there's an excellent book on sin if you ever just want to have some light reading about sin. It's great fun. Uh, (laughs) It really is a good book, surprisingly, for the topic. Um, But it's Cornelius Plantinga uh, called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Anyway, And in this, he says, the Bible presents sin by way of major concepts, principally uh, lawlessness and faithlessness expressed in an array of images. Sin is missing of a target, wandering from the path, straying from the fold. Sin is a hard heart and a stiff neck. Sin is blindness and deafness. It is both the overstepping of a line and the failure to reach it both transgression and shortcoming. Sin is a beast crouching at the door. In sin, people attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. These and other images suggest deviance. Even when it is familiar, sin is never normal. Sin is disruption of created harmony and then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. Above all, sin disrupts and resists the vital human relation to God. Did you hear that? Sin is disruption of created harmony and then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. Above all, sin disrupts and resists the vital human relation to God. What is God calling Cain to in this moment? It's, it's that, stay with me, buddy. Stay with me. <laughs> And Cain chooses not to. Cain does the same thing his parents did and say, I know God says not to, but I think it'll be just fine. Now, anybody relate to that? This is us, folks. (laughs) The next thing that Cain does in this moment, God has this, initiates a conversation with him and says, stay with me. And um, 
and sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Pause just a second on that again. This is the whole idea of, if we go back to the beginning, that humankind was supposed to rule over the beasts. One of the themes you'll see through the whole rest of the Bible is this inversion of that and of beasts ruling over humans and what it's like when humans become like beasts in the way that in which they rule. It's a thing. Look for it. Um, but here, it happens again. Now, sin itself is depicted as a beast that's trying to rule over a human. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and God says, no, you can rule over it. And what is Cain's response? What does Cain say back to God when God has initiated this conversation? Look there, right after verse 7. Nothing. God initiates this conversation with Cain, saying, (laughs) you have a choice here. Stay with me. And Cain does not even respond to God, but instead goes right to Abel and says, hey, why don't we go to the field? His mind is already made up, isn't it? Um, One of the things that's so wonderful about the book of Psalms is how it just covers all the emotions. (laughs) It covers... Kind of anything you could be going through, it goes through that. But what it's showing in that is that whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, you can have that communication with God. And so in this moment, Cain has an option. The option is he can continue the conversation with God and say, but I am mad, and this is what doesn't seem fair, and why does he get to do that? And there are Psalms that say that kind of thing. But instead, Cain cuts off communication with God and goes his own way. Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And just like last week, we had the trap was set, and now the deed is done, and so now we have the arrest, (laughs) the trial, etc. God comes back to Cain. Where is your brother Abel? Ugh. And how does Cain respond? <laughs> like a smart alecky teen, right? What, like am I his babysitter now? Is that the thing? Come on, man. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? As though God is going to be fooled. As though that's going to get him off the hook. As though that's going to stall for time or something. And God doesn't even play that game, but just says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then gives the curse. But even in the curse, there is still, um, there is still protection. God is still with Cain. He's still for Cain, even though Cain has turned away and done what he should not have done. Uh, I'm going to skip over uh, all the generations there. 
in married and city building, but we'll mention, you notice the direction that he goes? He goes east. Does that matter? It does. This is another thing to look for in the Bible as you go, kind of following the geography of what's happening. That when they go out from Eden, which way do they go? They go to the east. And then when Cain is sent away, where does he go? He goes to the east. They're getting farther and farther away from Eden. They're getting farther and farther away from kind of that hot spot of God's, God's presence. This is something that will continue to happen, but when you fast forward into uh, things like the tabernacle and the temple, where are the doors? It's all uh, kind of enclosed on all sides, but then there's a doorway on one side. Which side is that? It's on the east. Why is that? So that every time you're going into the temple or every time you're going into the tabernacle, it's as though you're returning from the east that you have gone to as you've gone away from God and you are coming back into an Eden-like hot spot of God's presence there in the temple and the tabernacle. Geography, who knew? Anyway. But you go down a few generations from in Cain's line, and what we see is this guy named Lamech. And it says Lamech married two women. We see this happen quite a few times in the Bible where uh, people marry more than one person, and we, uh, some have used that as a rationale that says, hey, we should be able to marry lots of people because happens in the Bible, right? Um, Yeah, Cain murdered Abel in the Bible. That also happens in the Bible. We should not do that. And every time that polygamy is mentioned in the Bible, it always is in the context of problems and uh, things not being the way they're supposed to be. And this is the first example and, um, well, a pretty good one. Because the purpose of this whole section here of telling us about this Lamech guy is to show just how broken things are at this point, how the sin that started in Eden has gone out and has spread and it just gets worse and worse. That moment where you say, okay, well, Adam and Eve are out of the garden. They're out of the presence of God. Everything's broken. Well, at least it can't get any worse. And then one of their kids kills another one. And you're like, okay, well, at least it can't get any worse. And then you get Lamech, and it just keeps getting worse. And Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. The wives of Lamech, hear my words. This is kind of a poetry sort of thing. <laughs> it says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There are a couple things going on here in his boast, but the point of it is that things are getting a lot worse. He is taking a look at his ancestor Cain and is modeling what is right off of what Cain did wrong. Do you see that? And he is not only doing that, but he is taking this vengeance that God says, the retribution for, um, for evil. If somebody kills Cain, then God is going to, um, it says, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so, no one's going to kill you. This is the, anyone who kills Cain will suffer a vengeance seven times over. And so he somehow marks him, don't know, that somehow marks him so people will know, hands off, don't kill him. And that God has said, um, they will suffer vengeance seven times over. 
this guy, Lamech, Cain's descendant, says, oh, it's not going not to be seven times with me. It's going to be 77 times. Now, seven, of course, this number of completion, 77 would be the complete completeness, <laughs> the ultimate. But what he's done is he has also taken the place of God in uh, executing judgment. You see that? We see other places in the Bible where God says, you know, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And what Lamech is saying is, no, vengeance is mine. I will make sure that if anybody crosses me, I will make them pay. And so I have killed a young man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If somebody even looks at me the wrong way, I'll make sure they don't make that mistake twice. Putting himself in the place of God when it comes to determining right and wrong, that's the problem from Eden. But now, what consequences? All right. As I mentioned beginning, you see, you have that line of, you know, at least it can't get any worse, and it gets a lot worse. And at this point in the story, it almost seems like, well, this was depressing. Great. This is not the end of the story. This is the beginning of the story. It would take a long time to go through it at this pace to get to the end of the story, so I'm just going to fast forward a bit and let you know where some of this is leading. I don't know if you recognized when he says not seven times but 77 times. But Jesus picks that up in Matthew 18 with what we read this morning in his response to Peter. Right? Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times but 77 times. Wait, what just happened there? This is a call back to Lamech and saying, we are not the people of Cain, we are the people of Jesus. And it is not about the ultimate, ultimate vengeance, it's about the ultimate, ultimate forgiveness. Why? How? Jesus goes on to tell a parable that explains why, that explains how. And it's all about uh, the king who's forgiven his servant a lot, and then he has somebody who... Uh, owes him some. He says, somebody has been forgiven a lot. Surely they can forgive some, right? And in fact, this takes us back to what we read in Hebrews. When, um, when the author of the Hebrews is talking about the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, he says, here's what you've come to. says, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There are all kinds of biblical references going on there, but the one we're going <laughs> to zero in on is that uh, blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember in chapter 4 of Genesis where God says to Cain, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
What was it that Cain's or that Abel's blood was crying out? It was crying out about Cain, that Cain was guilty. And he was. And as we have just discussed, as, uh, the ways that we can relate to Cain in knowing the good that we ought to do and not doing it. Knowing the wrong we shouldn't do and going ahead with it. We've all been there. And there's a way in which we have each contributed to the brokenness. Brokenness in the way things are supposed to be. And there is a way in which the brokenness around us can cry out that we are guilty. But, just like that parable that Jesus tells of the, of the king that forgives such a great debt, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying when he says, the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, what does that blood speak? What does it cry out from the ground to say? Does it say guilty? Kind of. But what's the better word? Forgiven. Forgiven. Isn't that a better word? (laughs) And it's because of this blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's because we have the blood of Jesus that speaks forgiveness over all our sin. That's why we're able to forgive not seven times, but 77 times. That's why we can leave vengeance to the Lord and we don't have to feel like Lamech who has to get revenge 77 times over. No. We can trust in the God who has this whole thing in his hands to bring about the good and the right at the end. We don't have to be like Cain and take matters into our own hands trusting ourselves instead of trusting God. We can trust him. We can trust him to forgive us, to lead us in paths of righteousness. We can stay in conversation with him through all that we go through and we can follow him as those who forgive others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made and God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. God, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it does just cut us right to the heart. Now we so often like to pretend we have everything all together. But Lord, your word shows us that you see past our facades. God, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, even in uh, knowing us so well, Your word tells us that you love us more than we can even understand. 
that you have done what it takes to put us right with you again, to put us right with each other again, to put the whole world right again. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember this. As uh, the temptations come to forget or to intentionally ignore who you are and what you have said and what you are doing in order to go our own way. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we pray, just as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.